Thank you so much, Mr. Secretary. Really appreciate that. And uh, I think we will all cheer on the fact that we're doing this in 3D and not on Zoom. Yes. <laughs> so we're excited about that, right? We're excited to be back where we are. You're always welcome back. Mi casa su casa. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much. So really appreciate your comments. Uh, I think I'll start here. Obviously, this higher education community, the community across the country, is grateful for the American Rescue Plan, the dollars supported institutions, supported students, very important. But now we're heading into the fall, mm -hmm. about to welcome students back. So I'm curious about what you see as priorities as we move into welcoming students back to school. Well, again, thank you for being here. You are the models that we want to lift across the country. Uh, over the last two we uh, years, your hard work and, and strong leadership have given students opportunities that are not always available elsewhere. You know, I could talk to you about the work that you're going to have to do to re-engage students mm -hmm. back into uh, your campuses. I know over a million students did not return. That's right. I was recently having a conversation with Felix uh, from CUNY, and he was telling me that, that that's a focus of his. And quite frankly, if you serve students that are in greatest need, um, those are also the students that were impacted the most by the pandemic. So we have double the work to get those students back. I also think you have an opportunity now to think about those students who, uh, future students who currently are looking for a change in life. I remember meeting uh, someone named Ruth, middle-aged woman who was, had an epiphany during the pandemic. She was sick. She ended up in the hospital. And she used that moment for clarity to say, I'm not fulfilling my life's purpose. I'm going to go back to school. I want to get a, a certificate or a degree. Um, so there are people out there right now that are looking for something new. So your role will be to engage those folks. But if, if I could ask you to do one thing when you go back, it would be to maintain the level of urgency that you've had the last two years. My fear is that we go backwards in, 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 with regard to our urgency, that now that masks are off and things are looking like they were before uh, March 2020, that we go back to the systems that serves some students better than others. That you create a culture of urgency or maintain a culture of urgency uh, despite the masks being off, people being vaccinated. We have an opportunity to maintain urgency to change what we know needs changing. Much needs to be changed, obviously, and it's, it's certainly um, a time for us to come through this disruption. So I appreciate the comment there. You talked about possibilities. Uh, you also talked about uh, a cultural change, a narrative shift, uh, conf stop conflating selectivity with excellence. Yeah. Speak to us about uh, what colleges can do to lift this sort of value proposition, and what's the urgency in that shift for you? Well, look, <clears throat> I'm going to go back to STEAM uh, intentionally. The system was disrupted for us. Let's not build it back the way it was. That didn't work. So we have an opportunity now to use the bully pulpit or do what we're doing now. We're, we were very selective on who we wanted here in terms of lifting up examples. We wanted to lift up examples of inclusivity. Those institutions that were doing the work to make sure that college completion for those students who maybe uh, didn't fit the profile 
of uh, students um, that uh, maybe were college ready or making sure you meet the students uh, where they were and providing the wraparound supports that they needed. So use your position, use your influence to lift up those stories like we're doing here today. I always say your calendar and your wallet is a reflection of your values. Yes. So when you go back, how are you using your time? How are you using your microphone? How are you using the funding that you have available to you to identify those programs and lift up those educators who are doing the very difficult work and oftentimes doesn't get the attention or the prestige that, that others may get? We have an opportunity in this country to change the culture of what we value in higher education. You know, if it's easy, it would have been done. And, and my mentality for, for all of you, and I, I say this and I, and I join you in this. If we're, not, if we're comfortable for the next two years, we're not pushing hard enough. If we go back to the system that was there in March 2020 and we're content with that, we're what I call status quoitions. We're perpetuating data, we're failing our kids. If I'm not pushing to address the inequities and the gaps that were made worse by the pandemic, I shouldn't be Secretary of Education. And I would say the same thing for school superintendents, chiefs, and college presidents. If you're not using this moment in our country's history of disruption to build it back different and better for our students, should you be in that role? There's more money in education, there's more urgency in education, and it was disrupted for you. What are we going to do with it? Listen, we didn't sign up for a pandemic, right? No one said, oh, I want to lead during a pandemic. Right. But we did sign up because we want to help kids, right? We want to help students achieve that American dream. There's no point in, the, in American history where you have an opportunity to do more change than today. It's not going to be easy. It shouldn't be easy. We're, we're creating a new culture. There's an adaptive shift happening in this country, and you're leading the charge. That's why I'm so thrilled that you're here today, and I appreciate you taking the invitation and, and being here because it's really important that we lift up what you are doing. So yes, it's gonna be hard, it should be hard. If it gets too easy, maybe you're not pushing hard enough. That's why it's important to work with each other, right? You can't be on an island. You won't last long that way. Make sure you're supporting one another, learning from one another, and make sure that we're providing the support that we need to provide as a Department of Education so that you can do your jobs. Thank you for that. Uh, I know we have some questions from the field here. So the first one, speaking of things that are not easy, I know that you've been a champion for equity and uh, racial equity, thinking about equity of opportunity in all of your uh, educational experience. So here's the challenge. We know that diversity is an asset in this country. We know we have to erase equity gaps. And yet we see a political filter in which it's hard in some places to talk about equity and race. And so how do we ensure that uh, all of higher education is able to do this work effectively? And what can the department help? How can the department help with this work? Yeah, you know, I, I used to, when I was a commissioner in Connecticut, I would tell the superintendents that, um, you know, reopening schools was a challenge, right? I mean, during a pandemic without vaccines and... Uh, and I said, once we get the vaccines and once we get the schools open, the work is not going to get easier. It's going to get different. The leadership challenges will come in different ways. And we're seeing that across the country. You're seeing it. You're experiencing it. Unfortunately, discussing uh, the importance of equity and diversity have become, in some places, uh, divisive topics. Mm -hmm. That's the challenge of leadership in 2022. 
So my, my thinking is, let's bring it back. I'm a father. I want my children to succeed. Um, I want all children to succeed. So we, if we look at the data and we see that some children are achieving more than other children, it's incumbent upon us to make sure that all children can achieve. Mm -hmm. And I think disaggregating data and using the data and lifting up the stories, and as I said before, we've normalized disparities in education. We've normalized disparities in healthcare and, and so many other things. We need to use our data and tell stories because at the end of the day, what we're doing is helping children. And I know that's more difficult in some states than other states, but the issue of helping children succeed, that doesn't have party lines. And if we use our data and show there's a group of students that have historically been underserved and are therefore underperforming, we have to do more there, that's what we were hired to do. So I know it's more difficult, I know it's a leadership challenge, but it's more important now than ever. I mean, you saw the data, even mortality rates during the pandemic. That's right. Even the mortality rates. So, you know, the number's higher now, but 140,000 students are going back to school having lost a parent or caregiver due to COVID. Right? And we know the mortality rates in some communities are higher than others. Those are data. That's not a partisan comment. That's real. So we have to be prepared to uh, provide proportionate support based on proportionate need. And the data, use the data um, and let the data speak for itself. I appreciate that comment, particularly as we think about the social determinants of health, education, right, right up there, right? So we know, as you have said, a common unified message around commitment to education. It's all hard. Mm -hmm. But we, we have uh, folks who are really committed to this work, and, and that's why we do what we do. Exactly. So, of course, everyone has submitted a hard question here. So I'll roll into the next one. You have been a teacher, I think a fourth grade teacher. Fourth grade. Is yeah. that right? Yeah. So you can't uh, turn on the news in any state in this country and not talk about the teacher shortage or hear about conversations about the shortage. This department obviously focuses on K-12 and higher ed policy. Our colleges of education are trying to recruit more teachers and we see less individuals interested in being teachers and less retention of great teachers. But we know that every kid deserves and needs yeah. a phenomenal teacher. So how do we think about where we are in this moment in time regarding teacher education? You know, if we're serious about addressing the teacher shortage issue, we must first address the teacher respect issue in this country. Right. And we need to talk about that. We need to talk about the fact that uh, for years it's, it's been uh, teachers haven't been compensated competitively. That you could have a master's degree and you have to drive Uber on the weekends to make ends meet. That's unacceptable. We, we've normalized that. So we want to lift the profession by making sure the salary is competitive, making sure the working conditions, it's not all about salary, it's about working conditions. Do they feel like they belong? Are we taking serious the need for professional learning opportunities? What's going to happen across the country in the next several months is teachers are going to get an hour of PD on trauma-informed schooling, and then they're going to be experts in that, right? Let's, let's be serious. The teaching profession is the best profession. Absolutely. At all levels. And we have to invest in our educators. With regard to teacher preparation programs and um, pipeline programs, the country is ripe for innovation. We should be counting the days where we 
counting the days down where we no longer have student teachers not getting paid for their work. There are, I've talked to so many people who said, I can't afford four months of no salary. Yet the system hasn't changed. Grow your own programs, apprenticeship programs. Really, we should be working. Every one of your colleges and universities should have a K-12 sister district where you're coming up with creative ideas. The district that I left, the community college was having a hard time paying for the rent in the buildings. They raised the rent. What we did is we gave them our second floor in the high school. You take our beautiful media center from 3 to 8 p.m. No rent. You just give us five seats in every class for our students. That was the deal. Let's make that the rule, not the exception. Teacher preparation programs. You know, we talk about diversifying the profession. We have diversity in front of us. Why aren't we tapping them on the shoulder and saying, you're going to be a teacher and I'm going to help you get there. That's right. So my K-12 system, my higher ed system, we remove that man-made gap there, right? We get people talking to each other differently and we make sure that those students complete and then they go back into those districts because they want to be there. That's home. Because oftentimes in urban centers, it's spinning wheels, you know? The, the, the teachers leave. You need to get people that live in that community that want to be there. Um, there's tremendous room for innovation now. I, I mean, the American Rescue Plan dollars, we put out guidance, we put out dear colleague letters, we put out tweets. You use the American Rescue Plan dollars to create some of these seed programs to see if they stick, to see if they work. We, we are in a, I always say, we're at the doorstep of a crisis with a teacher shortage. And I remind mayors, I remind governors, I remind supers, remember what it was like during Omicron where it wasn't COVID that closed the doors, it was the quarantine, you didn't have enough teachers. Let's not get there, that shuts down the whole community. So innovation around programming, I'm seeing it in different places. Tennessee has a wonderful model. Uh, I was in Nevada, I saw, I walked into a, a classroom uh, in a high school, 15 students were gonna be teachers. They were going to the, the college down the street. The college was waiting for them when they graduated. They had their program all set. As a matter of fact, they had several credits already done in high school. We need more of that. That has to be the rule, not the exception. And in our country, we have pockets of excellence. So it's our job at the department to make sure that we're lifting up best practices, funding it, and giving attention to it. So I encourage everyone here, um, give some thought to that, and let us know how we can support or what we need to do to remove barriers to make this happen. Um, this is going to be a long-term issue, yeah. so we need, we need solutions right away. Thank you for that uh, and for that call to action. So I, I know we're going to run out of time, but I do want to ask you, since we have, I believe, 70-plus educators in the room, public, private, two-year, four-year, tribal colleges, HBCUs, and more, uh, and so I know that people have come to hear this message, to reflect on what it means for us to advance good work in post-secondary education collaboratively. Right. So as the secretary, what do, message do you have for this audience and beyond about working individually or collectively to move this work forward? What does it take? What do you want to see? Yeah. I think the, the term that made its way through the hallways here today was partner or perish. Does that sound right? When we reopen schools, we were required to collaborate differently. I had uh, the epidemiologist in Connecticut on speed dial. I didn't even know what they did before the pandemic. Right. Intentional partnerships that were different is the norm now. We must make that tangible. We must make that the expectation in all places because we have students who are hungry. We have, you have students 
who are housing insecure. Right. You have students that suffer from mental health needs. And if you think college completion doesn't involve that, you're missing the point. So intentional collab, but you don't have to do it all. You don't have to be the experts in mental health. You don't have to be the experts in housing or in food insecurity. You don't have to be. Intentional collaboration with the, the village around you. Um, those schools that opened the quickest, higher education institutions that opened the quickest and served the students the best were the ones that did that because that was part of their DNA before the pandemic. Right. So partner, partnership is important. And do not assign technical band-aids to adaptive problems. There's a need for a culture shift. Having one or two events that are feel-good events is not enough. Are you working on the cultural transformation that's needed to understand that in institutions of higher education now, we're looking out for the whole child. We're meeting them where they are, and we're measuring growth over time, and we're valuing growth over time. There's a shift that's needed, and it, it's, it's more than doing programs or strategies. It's really creating a policy, board governance, connections with the governor to understand these are the things that we value, and this is not only good for, for moral reasons, but it's, it's about economic development. There's an economic imperative to do this work right. But what I'll leave you with, the last comment I'll make is, um, you know, we're, we're thankfully at a point where um, our schools are able to be open 100% of the time. And I don't think, you know, from, from my perspective, I, I have to mention this. Uh, I came in March 2nd. Late March, the president made an announcement. I remember I was in New York. I was visiting a school, and I remember watching it on TV. He said, we're going to prioritize educators getting vaccinated. By the summer, 90% of teachers got vaccinated. Schools opened by, like, November, we were close to 100%. That's with Delta. That's with Omicron. So the president understands the importance of our schools, of our educators. $130 billion in K-12, $40 billion in higher education. If it weren't for the American Rescue Plan dollars, which only half of Congress voted for, some of you might not have schools that are open right now. My point here is there's a level of urgency coming from the President of the United States. We are pushing. Everyone at this department, I'm, I'm, we have a tremendous team here, people who are passionate, people who moved their families, who gave up much better salaries to come here because they believe in the cause, because they believe that this is a moment in history where we can do so much good. What I ask is, please do not let the urgency dissipate. Please do not get comfortable going back to systems that serve some, not others. Consider yourselves fortunate to be in a leadership position at this time in our country's history where the resources are there, there's federal urgency, and part of your leadership challenge is to ensure that there's state urgency and local urgency to fund education the way it should be funded, or else we're going to go back to a system of inequities. We can't let that happen on our watch. Thank you for being here today. Thank you. Right. Thank, you. Thank, you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Great, great job. Great job. Appreciate it. Great job. Appreciate it.